Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we are joined by Shannon Gilliland. Shannon is a serial entrepreneur, founder of Pronto Bottle, and CEO of For My Baby. Having founded and co-founded three previous businesses in mobile game development and e-commerce and has worked as project manager for one of the world's most recognisable game development studios, Electronic Arts. Her skills range from business development, product development, marketing, branding, product project management, logistics, distribution, e-commerce, customer service and management of small to large globally distributed teams. Along with a graduate certificate in entrepreneurship and innovation and a bottle-feeding parent herself, she's had first-hand experience with the current pain points of her target demographic and been able to apply the last 10 years of experience to developing a product and company to solve the biggest problem for bottle-feeding parents. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks so much for uh, the introduction and welcoming me on board. So, so tell us a little bit about um, the journey to get to this point, Shannon. Certainly. Um, I think like in the introduction, I mentioned that um, we're currently working on a self-sterilising baby bottle. And the idea for that concept actually came about three years ago when I had my daughter. Actually, it's four years ago now. She's just turned four. <laughs> so, you know, I sort of had my daughter then and, you know, like most parents had some issues around breastfeeding, so I swapped to bottle feeding. And I actually came up with an idea to solve that problem. But before I raced out and started designing anything, I actually went and I interviewed and I surveyed 100 other parents and I just said, you know, how are you travelling with your baby? And from that, it was the biggest pain points around parents having to travel with so many pre-filled bottles all of the time consuming that, you know, was around that sterilization and the, um, you know, creation process for it. So I went about solving that. Um, So that kind of took me into the journey of developing a product and then developing a company and starting a company and then bringing on board members and bringing on or starting acceleration programs um, and kind of brings me to today's days as well. So, you know, everything from that point to fundraising and it's a pretty pretty typical startup journey actually. <laughs> so what are some of the greatest challenges you've faced along the way, Shannon? Um, I think like most startups, the, the typical challenges, and I suppose I'll talk from my standpoint then is for me it's been about um, – gathering the right knowledge to actually appropriately start my company. So what were the key things, key frameworks to get myself into the right um, place for actually starting the company? And then the next thing is, you know, gathering the right network of people around you that can either support you, you know, through your business, so through knowledge and also, you know, mental and emotional support as a founder as well. And then also the funding required to actually get you through the various stages as you're doing your product development too. So, there's kind of a few key areas there that tend to be, um, you know, some of the challenges for most startups actually, yeah. Hmm. How does your bottle actually work, Shannon? It's <laughs> one of the first the questions people tend to ask. <laughs> science behind it. Um, we're actually using UVC lights. So UVC lights actually been used for a number of years within the medical, dental and consumer products. Um, it's been used to sterilise um, surgical equipment and also used to sterilise water, so water treatment plants are now 
within consumer products where you've got, you know, a water bottle where you can actually travel with it. Um, so you're going overseas somewhere and it kind of prevents you from getting that, you know, the six sort of barley belly style um, things. So we've actually taken that technology now and integrated it into a baby bottle. And it's the first one where you can actually travel now with a bottle that's actually empty. So you're no longer required to travel with, you know, five or six pre-filled bottles. You can actually travel with one bottle. It's empty and you can prep it wherever you find drinkable tap water. So it's pretty fantastic, yeah. Even if I do say so myself. <laughs> and do you need to recharge it, Shannon? Or Yes. Yeah. So it's a battery-operated device. Um, it's rechargeable like your mobile phone or any other kind of you know, electronic device would be. You get about six charges out of it. So if you're doing feeds while you're out, you're probably getting you know a feed every two hours. So it'll last about 12 hours while you're out. And you can charge it from any sort of... You know, your typical, you know, mobile phone charger, you just plug it into the back of that and either charge it from a power point or if you've got one of those little portable, you know, battery packs, you can basically just charge it from that. So as long as you've got one of those with you, you can basically charge wherever, yeah, which is which is good. What an awesome product. I wish that was around when my <laughs> children were being bottle fed. My gosh, I felt like a pack horse. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, okay, now that you've got this amazing product, then what were your next steps mm. to kind of now grow and scale? Mm. So the steps of sort of getting myself to this point have been mostly around the, the fundraising process. So going through that friends and family round of funding, then going through getting into an accelerator. So I was accepted into two separate acceleration programs. One of them was specifically medtech-based, which was perfect for my product. Um, and that actually gave me a really good framework in terms of understanding some of the basics around, you know, quality management systems, regulatory requirements, um, and also a portion of board development as well. And then the next steps from that point then is actually bringing on that board, bringing on the next raise, which we're, current, we're currently doing at the moment as well. Um, so, that yeah, that's the next thing for us is then moving from where we have been really sort of quite predominantly in startup phase and slowly now moving to that launch phase where it's going to be into manufacturing and actually distributing our product, building those relationships with other businesses and partnerships, licensing, joint ventures, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to go ahead. Mm. So in terms of capital raising, what avenues have you looked down in terms of have you gone Mm. private equity, venture capital, um, Mm. you know, potentially IPO, sort of what Mm. options have you explored? Sure. There's, there's actually been a number of options we've um, looked at and also completed ourselves. So the initial one that I mentioned there was the friends and family round. We didn't actually take that as a portion of equity. That was actually we took on as loans. So we, we said to people that we would pay them back within a set period of time. And um, we were lucky enough to have, you know, friends and family that said they were happy without having to, you know, have some sort of increase by year one of payment, which is great. And then the next thing for us was we actually got into that acceleration program, the MedTech one, which is actually backed by a VC firm. So Artesian was one of the firms backing that uh, program. So through that, we actually raised three separate rounds of funding. um, And those all required the same sort of process you would for any other type of um, investment in terms of you had to pitch, you know, you had all your documentation requirements, your legal requirements around that as well. It's also reporting requirements too. So every three months you've got to report to the VCs on what did you say you were going to do, where are you right now, and where do you think you're going to be in X amount of time as well, just to make sure that you are kind of being transparent as to what you're doing. 
Um, and then the next thing now is we did two separate rounds of um, one was a non-equity based fundraising round that was last year through crowdfunding actually. So I'm not sure most people are sort of aware what crowdfunding is about, but this was sort of a um, product for price um, crowd run, crowdfunding. So the idea was that people would purchase or pre-purchase a bottle and then at some stage, you know, nine months time, once we completed our manufacturing, they get that product in return. Unfortunately, what we didn't realize is that, you know, when parents are doing this whole process, and I should have realized this being a, you know, a bottle feeding parent myself is that um, we, we think we can breastfeed until we can't. So when you decide you need a bottle, you need it now. It's not going to be in nine months' time. I'll ship it to you then. You, know, <laughs> you kind of pass that stage by then. Um, but it was it was an interesting thing in terms of what we learned, um, how people responded to the product and how people responded to the brand as well. So parents really rely on brand and then trusting it before they actually purchase this type of product. So for anything else, it was if it was a pair of headphones, if it was you know the latest gadget, it would have been amazing. It would have been really easy to raise the funds through that. Um, but because of that, we didn't raise the funds and we sort of gave anything that we raised, we gave it back. Um, so we sort of fast forwarded now to this latest year. We've raised two rounds of funding uh, as a part of that VC firm that I mentioned. And then the next thing now is we've actually gone down the crowdsourced equity crowdfunding through virtual. So that's the stage we're at now. And the difference with that, obviously, for us is that people are putting in a portion of funds uh, for a portion of equity instead of an actual physical product. Um, the good thing for us in doing that is that we're actually sourcing funding from people who have experienced that pain point themselves, right? So their parents like you and I, who've been through that before and they think, oh my goodness, just like you said before, I wish I'd had this when I was raising my kids as well. Um, and it also, it goes through um, sophisticated investors as well. So we're also on another wholesale investor website and that's specifically for wholesale investors, you know? So that's kind of from where we've gone to, to where we are now, Yeah. How's the take-up on that equity crowdfunding going? Say that again, sorry. How's the uptake going with your equity crowdfunding? We've done we've done really well, actually. So we've I think we're close on 100,000 raised so far, and I think we've just done two weeks left of that. Ideally, we're looking to raise. There's a minimum and maximum subscription amount you can actually post on the virtual uh, fundraising, and our minimum was 175K, and the maximum was 850. And the difference there is that the minimum allows us to be able to build a prototype, get it in front of retailers and prove traction and, and basically get letters of intent, which is what we've found has been sort of a key block when we've gone to try and raise funds through angel investors over the last eight months. We've been pitching and the typical response is that, you know, we want you to have proof traction, we want letters of intent, we want you to have signed distributors on board, uh, which are already difficult things to do when you're a hardware startup. And you're basically going to people for the investment to be able to do those things. So it'll allow us to do that, if that makes sense. But if we raise the 850, it'll actually allow us to go through that full staging of tooling, manufacturing, marketing, and actually then finally launching and distributing our product as well. Yeah. So in terms of um, uh, you've mentioned it's open for another two weeks, where can people find mm-hmm. that if they want to actually go ahead and invest? Oh, certainly. So they can either head to our our website, so it's prontobottle.com, or they can head straight to virtual. So virtual.com and just look for Pronto Bottle. Um, they can have a look there. There's also details in terms of we did a investor webinar, so there's a video on there as well that people can watch through where we go through our pitch deck. Um, and we've also got the offer documentation there as well, which sort of sets out what our business strategies are going forward. It includes all the current shareholders in our portfolio as well as 
um, we would kind of intend on being in the next, you know, two years, which is good. Yeah. So what are the biggest um, challenges you faced in putting together your pitch deck? Have you had to keep revisiting it and retweaking it? And um... It's an ever-evolving document. I think just like some of the documentation required for corporate governance and, you know, when you're sort of doing your risk strategies and assessments, it's, you know, you're sort of constantly going back to it and updating it. So I think I think I'm sort of on version, you know, 50 or 55 by now at this stage, do you know what I mean? But it's good. It, it's... Um, you look back at it and you see how far you've come because I think as a founder you can get very focused on where, where you are right now and where you're intending to go and you forget to sort of look back a little bit and it's nice to sort of look over the last 18 months and see just how far we've actually come, which is, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. But, yeah, it's had a lot of iterations. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important just to sm- celebrate the sort of small wins along the way, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's something we probably do a very poor job of because we're so focused on getting to that next milestone. We hear you. <laughs> when are you hoping to go to market? Uh, end of next year. So our plan at the moment is if we raise the full 850, so that full subscription through virtual, the intent then is to be able to actually start shipping out product at the end of the next year. If we have to go back and install, spend the next, you know, two or three months raising that last amount post-virtual campaign, that'll push that date out into the following year, into 2022, yeah. So you've mentioned um, before, Shannon, about um, getting together an advisory board. How has that process Mm. been for you? Mm. It's, It's been difficult, to be honest, because I think when you're starting out, I, again, I'll talk from my perspective. I, th- I think I'd like to be very informed and I'm a very task list type person. So I had no understanding of governance before coming in or before starting a company. Um, so for me, it was about information gathering and trying to do it the right way, but also realizing that there's certain things that I, I didn't have the time to do. So it sounds, and I hate the way that sounds, it's, it sounds sloppy because I, I sort of went out to interview people. I went out to source them through my networks that I had, um, also through LinkedIn as well. So I actually went through and researched LinkedIn, um, but not having a step-by-step guide before that because I didn't have the appropriate funds at that stage as well to to be able to set aside and get somebody else to help inform me of that. Um, I think MedTech helped a fair amount as well because they taught us a fair bit in terms of, you know, what we should be expecting and how we should be sourcing board members. Um, but, you know, the next stages, it just didn't, wasn't as detailed and, um, yeah, it wasn't as professional as I would have liked it to have been, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, like, for us, yeah. um, a lot of the things that we would recommend at this sort of stage would mm-hmm. be around um, sort of breaking down your strategic direction, breaking down that yeah. strategic plan, working out mm-hmm. what um, skills you need from your leadership team, whether that be... Yeah. Um, a management team or your board and kind of mm. um, targeting those skill sets and doing a skills matrix and mm. what other things think, do you think yeah. would help you um, in that process? Well, I think you've actually touched on a really good point. One thing I did actually do was I looked at the skills that I had as a founder and I looked at my weaknesses as well. So where were the key areas that I had no experience in or not enough experience that I would imagine I would need over the next two years for my company? I then also looked at the teams that I'd hired. So I'd hired, obviously, development people around me and marketing teams around me, um, legal and IP, everything else around me as well. So what I looked at was where was the major gaps that I couldn't fill with key hires and also 
around that strategic planning of where do I expect us to go in the next two years. Um, and then from that, I worked out the key areas for myself was about, um, you know, marketing, branding, um, exportation, manufacturing, um, ideally at some stage merger and acquisition, which is where I imagine our exit strategy to be for the company as well at some stage. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, looking at LinkedIn, so doing searches through LinkedIn for those key skill areas and looking at the first and second degree connections that I had or could get connections to, and also using our MedTech contacts as well. So MedTech, the actuator program I was involved in, actually spoke to them as well to see if they had anyone that they could recommend that would fill these key areas. Um, so that's sort of how I went about that process. And it sounds like I kind of did it fairly okay to start off with. <laughs> Maybe could have been a bit more strategic about it, but that was sort of the the way I approached it, you know, not having the, the key details behind what I should actually be doing, yeah. And you've got a good mix for where you're currently at and... Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the the thing that I'm missing at the moment that I'm still trying to source and I tried to source prior to us going into the COVID, the whole lockdown um, in February, March, that's when I actually started looking for board members is still looking for manufacturing. So manufacturing expertise We're we're hiring obviously contract manufacturers, which will be, you know, end to end for us, but having an idea as to how that fits in for the product that we're developing now, all the way through to when we're looking at exporting our product as well, that would be another key area that we want to look at too. And also around developing a circular economy for us, because ideally what we'd like to get to a point of is where our product can actually be recycled or developed so we can actually bring that back into us and we're not actually, you know, sending product out into recycled plants or into landfill as well. So that's the one area we're still looking at at the moment. And what's your Mm -hmm. product made of, um, Shannon? Mm -hmm. Is it... Part plastic, mm. part glass, or yeah, it's it's a yeah. So exactly like you mentioned, it's a couple of different materials. So the bottle itself is actually glass. One of the key things for me is I didn't want to develop another plastic product or with the least amount of plastic components as possible. So looking at having a glass bottle, glass tends to be a lot more recycled as well versus plastic. Uh, it's more durable, so you can actually use that bottle over two, three, or four babies versus plastic. It tends to degrade and look manky very quickly. I don't know if you've ever used the yes. plastic ones. <laughs> they go yellowish <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. especially so the teeth. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the other thing, right? Um, and then the actual collar of it has to be plastic, but we're looking at seeing if we can actually develop a silicon one um, and that being a single component, so the teeth and the neck being silicon together, and then the lid's actually plastic as well. So separate parts with the actual electronic components within it. But again, developing it so that it can be easily disassembled. So if you've got it sent out to another uh, country, it can easily be disassembled. People aren't just throwing it into, you know, landfill or just the whole component to recycling and then people don't actually properly pull it apart. So, you know. And what about, um, I guess, long-term wear in terms of um, if the actual mechanism gets accidentally wet? Mm. The idea is you can actually resend it back to us so we'll be able to have it refurbished and again the idea of it being able to be easily pulled apart means that we can take it back pull it apart replace components and reassemble it using that same plastic housing so again we're not adding in um, more plastic or fresh plastic to that product as well I'm just thinking of the ever helpful big sister or big brother that you know go to feed the baby for mum and um, you know water and electronic parts don't mix well with little children. 
Yeah, of course. And obviously there'll be some portion of, you know, waterproof, like all splash, you know, you can probably splash it, but I wouldn't suggest submerging the lid component in water. Can you change the colour of the silicon depending on how you're feeling each morning? (laughs) Whether you're feeling good or bad or (laughs) sleep deprived. (laughs) Or maybe just need an extra shot of coffee for the morning, one of the two. I know, very good. So um, in terms of um, engaging a board, what's made you Mm. pick an advisory board over going straight um, towards a governing board? Oh, so maybe this is something I didn't message properly, is this is actually a governing board. So the people that I've actually brought on will be a governing board. Right. Um, Initially, I brought on a single advisor who's guided me from probably, you know, the beginning of last year to where I am, you know, this year. But the beginning of this year, then February onwards, was the focus on actually bringing on a non-executive board to help direct and create strategy and make sure that we're actually on the right pathway. Um, I knew that that was something that would not only be valuable for me because I'm I'm definitely not an expert in being able to launch a physical product that I've developed myself and expanding that out. Um, so I knew that getting expertise in that area would be really important for me. And also, if you're a founder who's looking for funding, having a, an appropriate board on as well is definitely looked upon in a better light than if you don't have an advisory or a proper appropriate board on too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of um, developing your governing documents, have um, mm. VCs and PEs kind of asked you for some of those things yet? Um, no, actually. So when we brought on the VC firm, the documentation we needed initially was just what we needed when we registered our company. So we brought on a legal advice team who were specifically working with startups. Um, a part of that was actually getting our you know company constitution together. So that was probably the main document that they looked for. Um, aside from that, then it's just for our sort of um, own knowledge it's about you know director documentation what's expected of us being in a director's role and our duties and also the secretary because as a single founder you know it's on the director on the founder on the secretary as we're starting out um, but yeah the, the main thing was just the company constitution going forward um, but then having said that now going to this um, crowdsource funding campaign there's also also the offer documentation, which is basically your business strategy, right? So what is everything expected or, or your business plan going forward from this point? Um, and that tends to be the main documentation that people have asked for. I imagine that will get more extensive as we develop and actually get um, settled into the board role because we have just finally settled ourselves now. Um, and I guess it's one of those things that, that frightens founders as well as you go into this and you're aware that there's just so much you don't know and what are the best and what are the key things that you need right now versus what are the things you'll need as that next step and the next stage, you know. And it's, it's about balancing funds and getting those things done too. It's what can I as a founder do myself until I get the appropriate funds to make sure that I get to that next stage. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's really is a balancing act. You don't want to be seen as a fool, be doing the wrong thing by the company, um, but also it's, it's what do you do that is right for the company now. Uh, yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and I think too one of the um, sort of things we come across as well is where a company sort of experiences rapid growth and scale and they're thrown Mm -hmm. into an IPO situation and they're suddenly Mm -hmm. um, you know forced to have a whole range of governance documents that they weren't aware of like board charters Mm -hmm. and um, 
codes of conduct, securities, trading policies, all those fun things, um, that if they've developed this amazing culture behind their brand and, Mm. you know, everybody's on board with all those things, all of a sudden they're just catapulted into this different arena and sometimes you can see that erode, uh, you know, this amazing culture overnight and Mm. um, there's sort of a lack of understanding and training and awareness right down in the sort of granular Mm. level of an organisation and that's why it's... um, you know, really great to see um, you already going for a governing board as opposed to an advisory mm-hmm. board because sometimes those sort of stepping stone boards miss that critical link of, um, mm-hmm. you know, what are the reporting requirements? What are the additional reporting things yeah. that we could set up now while you're smaller and more agile mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to then implement that later on? Mm, absolutely. And like I said, you know, the fact that you just don't know when you're first, you, the saying of like, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Yeah, <laughs> it tends to be pretty key when you're a founder, when you're setting up all these things as well. Uh, you try your best, you try to get, or I've tried to do my, what I think is my best and try to get as much information together to be able to set up that board. And I think most of it also comes down to just what your base values are. And, and it kind of sits in the, the appropriate directed duties too. It's about being, transparent not hiding anything when you're actually working with your board and working with your investors and working with those key stakeholders the businesses and companies that you're actually working with as well making sure that they're involved in some of the decisions because even though they're external team hires they're quite literally your staff as well because they're doing those key things for you so they help you um, with your direction because they've got a lot more experience than you do too which which is quite helpful as well um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's a way, and you've probably got a lot more detail on this as well, as in what are the key steps that startups can take in setting themselves out at the various stages as well. I think that's one of the things, you know, you say about the things that keep founders up. Those things are the things that keep founders up is, am I doing the right thing? And, and what is that next step? And what is the right thing right now for me to make sure I'm doing the right thing for my company and everyone else that's involved in it as well? Mm. One of the main things too, Shannon, is your your IP protection as well, yeah, because you've got such a unique product. It's important to protect that as early as possible because um, people like to copy, don't they? (laughs) Not kidding. And it's, you know, we brought on separate legal to separate IP advisory. Um, The IP for us was obviously submitting through the typical process, which is your provisional patent, then your PCT, and then you've got 18 months to hear back whether or not you're actually clear as in your patents actually pass through those different countries or whether or not you've got an infringement either yourself or somebody else is really, you know, producing that product. So for us, yes, that's a part of our strategy, submitting patents, um, but that's not the only thing as well. So considering trademarking well as well is really important. Branding as well, because we're a consumer product. And that thing that I mentioned before about trust and whether or not parents will choose your product over somebody else's, especially for a fast-moving consumer good too, which is what Pronto Bottle will be. Um, that's a really important thing for us. And if you're looking at the sort of, you know, the knockoffs that tend to come out of, you know, uh, foreign markets as well, your brand can play a really important role to protecting your product going forward. The issue that some people don't think about is is um, also you can have your patents and you can file your patents, but if you don't have the funds to protect an infringement or to fight an infringement, there's really no point having a patent at times too. It's 
it's again, it's a balancing out between what do I spend the upfront funds on? What do I focus on right now? And what do I think I can do in future and staging that out at the right times to protect yourself and your idea? So again, everything just tends to be, you know, quite a balancing act. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've sort of, um, both Deb and I having spent a long time in-house in um, sort of risk and governance and co-sec roles, mm. uh, you, you do on um, quite often get the last look in um, in the budget. So um, it's always <laughs> the sales and marketing are at the top and, um, yeah, risk and governance is always at the bottom end of town, isn't it, Deb? Mm. And money suckers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's a question question for you as well. So if, if you're looking at a startup that would be in the stages that I would be at, what would be some of the key things that you would think would be the first step for a startup to think about when they're going into corporate governance? I'd love to get your feedback on that. Um, really, like we kind of structure it around three core elements to begin with and mm. it doesn't matter what size you are. We ask the same key things every single time and it's around, um, you know, do you have the strategy and leadership in place? So, you know, what are what's your strategic plan? Is that laid up in one page? Is has that been infiltrated throughout the whole organisation? Mm. Um, you know, and then do you have the right leadership to execute on that? And whether that be management or board, mm. um, and then yeah. operationalising that. So, do you have an operating plan? Do you have your budget set? Mm. Are you monitoring and reporting against that? Um, yeah. And what are the risk and compliance elements around operationalising? So kind of, mm-hmm. you know, what's brand protection? What's people um, risk? What's um, mm-hmm. regulatory risk? And those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be – governance doesn't have to be complex. It can be really simple mm-hmm. elements in each of those things. And um, what's the culture and um, people side of the business? Do you have enough staff? Mm-hmm. Do you have the right staff? Do those staff have the right skills and capacity and capability? Um, and what's the culture you're driving in terms of performance mm-hmm. and how you're incentivising those people? And, you know, mm-hmm. with a startup, quite often you'll see um, incentive plans and things like that because you are, once again, mm-hmm. balancing um, cash flow versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, the long-term strategic goals of the business for growing. So you might balance that out with some sort of incentive plan to say, look, we're all working towards the same goal. There might be a piece of the pie in terms of an option plan or a performance rights plan or something like that. And um, sometimes there's director plans as well, but then they're not Mm -hmm. as common. And then around that, uh, you know, what are the key principles? What are the accountabilities? What's the reporting Mm -hmm. lines look like? What are the controls that I need in place to monitor these things? So... Have I missed anything, I think Deb? It's about much when you're a one-person band, though, wasn't it? <laughs> I was just going to say, I think if there's any other startup watching this, they've just had a heart attack and they've run a mile. Just going, oh, I can't do that. No, but see, that could be <laughs> actually um, articulated in one really simple document. Um, yeah. So you might just have, say, um, you know, a strategic plan that's kind of um, in your budget and your operating plan and then mm. – what's then the reporting back to, say, yourself. So, well, I want these reports from my bookkeeper and mm. I want these reports from my legal advisors and I want okay. these reports on where my IP, um, yeah. I, trademark lodgements or patent lodgements are up to. So yeah. it's kind of just um, really breaking it down into something that's simple and mm. user-friendly and, yeah. Mm. 
I think that's probably the biggest thing for startups as well as the fact that, you know, especially, and I, I imagine it might be a bit easier if you've got two founders in a company, um, especially I'll talk for myself in terms of, you know, being a single founder, there is just so much that you are doing in terms of, you know, you're a product developer, you're semi-marketing and branding and semi-legal because you have to do all this research and then you're hiring other people to get involved in it and then to start thinking about the corporate governance side of things. And you're like, that seems like another job just in itself, all of the requirements around that, when's the right time, what things do you bring in? So it's good to know that there's an easier way and a simpler way to do it as well for founders and startups as well. Yeah. So Shannon, how did you identify your risks as you were going along and have you documented those mm. risks? The risks we put into our actual business plan, so in a very basic you know, risk management document, and that was based on my previous experience and also looking at um, a hardware product. What were we doing? Where did we plan to go in future? Um, using PESL, so using a PESL analysis as well, using a SWOT analysis, um, and then... Yeah, that was basically it. So just setting out in that kind of terms and keeping it short. So just very specifically focusing on the next year to two years maximum. And again, that idea of it's a rolling document. You're constantly going back to it, constantly assessing it. Um, and certainly, especially with the whole COVID thing, you know, it's something that I don't think people really expected to have to risk uh, manage for, but it's certainly something that's in my documentation now. <laughs> Yeah, crisis management planning, really, isn't it? One hundred and one. Absolutely. In terms of, um, I guess, your transferable skills, what have you found really fundamental in developing your product? So, in terms of, um, you know, all the game development and things like that, what have you found that's been a really key transferable skill? Um. Uh, there's been quite a few, actually. It's been really strange. So because of the background, I have had a real variety of skills in terms of, you know, animation and then stepping into project management and then stepping into, you know, developing or running an e-commerce store. So there's been a lot of skills I've actually been able to bring into this now. Probably there's actually project management. So being able to research and set out tasks and appropriately set it out in a way that I could manage the day-to-day and in future plan as well. Those are probably some of the key things. Um, and in hiring, so being able to network appropriately, hire the right people and get out of your own way. I think it's very easy for founders to, uh, I should say, again, from my standpoint, I think it, as a founder, when you're very strongly viewed on something, it's very easy to want to just stick to what you want to do because it's a thing that you want to do. <laughs> but it's important to hire people that know a lot more about that subject. It's really important to hire smarter people in the room than yourself because it means that, one, you're learning as a founder Two, you're doing the best thing for your company because it's not about you. It's about developing the product for your customer, the right thing for your customer, doing the right thing by the people that you're working with and where you're imagining your company to go, which means you're doing the right thing by your shareholders as well. So um, that's been the key things for me. Mm. All right. Well, that's really great. And um, (laughs) did you have any other questions, Deb? Yeah. So before we wrap up today, in terms Mm. of – you know, other startups or other people Mm. who might be thinking about starting up or people who might Mm. be midway along their journey or uh, what sort of are the top three tips that you could leave um, our listeners Mm. with? Uh, Top three things is, one, it's building the, the right network around you. So don't be shy to go to events, get out there, get speaking to people, because that network would not only help support you in terms of, you know, knowledge, but also mental and emotional support as you're going through this, because it's a tough gig. Everyone knows that. 
um, but also getting help in the key areas that you think are required for your your company. So things like this, speaking to people like yourself about corporate governance, speaking to people about legal requirements, speaking to people about IP, um, you know, that tends to be the key things as well. Like don't, don't do it by yourself, really. Um, it's all about getting that support around you. It really will help you moving forward and help yourself personally as well. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, um, Shannon. Well, thank and you so much for having me on. We look forward to following your journey. <laughs> yes, Thanks absolutely. so much. I really look forward to watching you guys as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.threewiseowls.com.au.